Welcome to the I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I-29 MUU University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Welcome to another episode of I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I'm Kim Clark, Dairy Extension Educator at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and once again, I am joined by our guest speaker, Dr. Paul Fricke from the University of Wisconsin. Our topic for today is high fertility cycle. Kind of give us an overview of, of what you mean by that, Paul. Yeah, the high fertility cycle is, this is a really popular conversation that I'm having with people, and uh, some people out there in the audience may have, may have heard me talking about this, but what is the high fertility cycle? It's the, it's the interaction between nutrition and reproduction. When I think about nutrition and reproduction, I think a lot of people, when they think about nutrition and reproduction, they think, can we feed some magic component to a dairy cow, like vitamin R? I always talk about that, right? <laughs> vitamin repro. If we could just find the vitamin repro and feed enough of it, then we could improve, uh, improve fertility. Well, as far as I know, and Kim, you know, you worked with Paul Kononoff, I don't think there's a vitamin R that's out there. We haven't found any magic ingredient that we can feed to cows. But what is related is change in body condition score during the transition period. And so I want to just briefly touch on this, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to bring it up from a study that was done back in the early 1990s by a guy by the name of Jack Britt. Now, Jack was a, a very well-known reproductive biologist, and he had a small university herd of cows, and all he did was he body condition scored cows every week from calving to week 10. And he started to play around with and analyze the data. And what he found is that in the first three weeks post-calving, he could divide cows into two very distinct groups. There was a group of cows that calved at a higher body condition score. And then over the first three weeks, they dramatically lost condition. That's kind of what we think normally happens to a dairy cow, that these dairy cows just as a matter of course are just going to lose a lot of body condition score post-calving. But there was another group of cows that calved at a lower body condition score and they didn't lose. And so he put them into those two groups. And then if you look across those 10 weeks, the patterns are really striking. You had this group of cows that they lose for the first about six weeks and then they gain back. And I think the misconception, I wanna challenge the assumption, and I think we actually have taught this to dairy science students, that all cows lose condition, it's just a matter of how much condition they lose. And when we start to look at data like this, what we realize is that they don't all lose. So when Jack looked at these cows, there was actually 30 cows that were in this loss group, and there was 46 cows. There's actually more cows in this maintained group. They really didn't have this massive uh, body condition score loss. And so what he did was he looked at a couple of different things. Now, the first thing, milk yield, 305-day lactation, didn't differ between those two groups. And that's interesting because what that tells me is that the genetics of our high-producing Holsteins are such that they're going to give milk. They're either going to get the energy from eating or they're going to get the energy from mobilizing body fat, maybe a combination of both. And he looked at conception rates between these two groups of animals. Animals that maintained, these cows that maintained, their first service conception rate was over 60%. Animals that lost, it was 25%. 
That's so a big difference. Ads, it's a huge difference. Okay, now it's a small, it's a small data set. This never got published formally, I think, in a peer-reviewed journal. It was just too small of a of a paper. But what Jack did next is he came up with, he's a physiologist, so he came up with his physiologic reason. This is called come to be known the Brit hypothesis. And believe me, if you're a scientist, you want a hypothesis named after you. Okay. <laughs> so this is this is the Brit hypothesis. So what he did is he put, I wish I could show you the graph. You got the, you got the uh, energy balance curve. So you can imagine in these cows that lose, they go along and as soon as they calve, you see this dramatic drop, they go into negative energy balance, and then they slowly kind of come back out of it. Well, if you superimpose over that, how long it takes to grow up a follicle until when, when it ovulates, what Jack said is that these follicles that are ovulating around the time at the end of the voluntary waiting period, say day 60, were growing during this period of time with this negative energy balance. Because it takes about three ester cycles to grow a follicle, about 60 days. So these cows are experiencing this tremendous negative energy balance during this time period. And Jack said maybe something bad happens to those oocytes. You know, he called it the follicular memory theory. And I, I think that was taught in vet schools for a long time. I think a lot of farmers have heard this idea. I hear farmers saying, oh, well, she's ovulating a bad egg. It's, <clears throat> it's another way of saying the Brit hypothesis, right? It ends up that that physiologic hypothesis is really hard to test in a study. But, but what I can tell you is there's three new studies that have been published 2014, 2017, and 2019 that really support the Brit hypothesis. And so I want to go through the first one and we can, we can talk a little bit then about kind of the implications of, of the data. So one of the, the first study is a, a paper I was involved with. There's a whole bunch of us from the University of Wisconsin. And one of the, there's three different studies in this first paper. And one of the things that we looked at was body weight change. So we were actually weighing cows. So this isn't body condition score. This is actually body weight. And if you look at body weight as a percent change from calving to week 10, we did a quartile analysis. So you put 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. The top 25% gained in the first three weeks. The next 25% maintained. The next 25% lost. And the bottom 25% dramatically lost. And all of the change happens within the first three weeks. And then from week three through 10, they pretty much just stay into those four different categories. So kind of amazing. I wish I could show you the graph. It's, it's very striking the way this looks. And the thing that I always walk people through when I'm, when I'm talking to them about this graph, if you average cows together and just look at the average cow, it would look like the average cow loses and then gains it back. So by looking at kind of this quartile analysis, you can pull out these groups and what we showed in this study is that the, this was a superovulation study. So each of these animals was superovulated and embryos were graded. The animals in that lowest quartile that lost the most, they had an 8% drop in body weight. That's quite a bit. So Kim, if you work with Paul, you did a lot of nutrition. That's a lot of body weight loss, right? In the first three weeks, 8% yep. of their body. Big difference. Yep. Big difference. They had more degenerate embryos fewer quality ones and twos of percent fertilized and way more degenerate embryos as percent fertilized. So what we showed here is that the severe body weight loss is associated with decreased embryo quality and also that NEFAs were higher in that group too. 
Okay, so the correlation between high MIFAs and bad repro has been well established. There's a great study from Cornell uh, that has looked at that in a, in a field trial. So it seems that, you know, dramatic loss of body weight is bad for embryo quality. Now, the, the second study is the one I want to talk about here a little bit. This is a big study that one of my grad students did in two large dairies here in Wisconsin. And so we were doing a study looking at feeding uh, rumen-protected choline, actually, during the transition period. In that study, there was no impact of rumen-protected choline, but we looked at these body condition scores retrospectively. So we had a body, my student had a body condition score at calving and a body condition score at 21 days in milk. And we could categorize cows as whether they lost, maintained, or gained body condition during that particular time. And let me just, so we had almost 2,000 cows in the study, 1,887 cows. 42% of the cows lost, 36% maintained, and 22% gained. So again, the idea that all cows lose is not right. There are some cows that lose, some cows that maintain, and some cows that gain. Energy-corrected milk didn't differ across the first 21 days in those groups, just like in Jack Britt's study. But let me, so the other thing we did in this study is every cow was put onto a double off-sync program and received a timed AI in this study, okay? So we can control days in milk at breeding and 100% of the cows get inseminated at the end of the voluntary waiting period. Here's the conception rates. 25% conception rate for the cows that lost. 38% conception rate for the cows that maintained. 84% conception rate for the cows that gained. It's just the most staggering thing that you'll ever look at if you look at this graph. Now, here's a point that I wanna drive home. We've been so successful with these fertility programs, double off-sync, pre-sync off-sync, G6G, that when a farm is struggling with repro, the first question they ask is, I need to change my protocol. But in this study, none of those conception rate differences are due to the protocol every cow was put on the same protocol. What's more, you know, I'm not saying protocol is not important. Protocols can be very important. You have to comply to them. You have to use the right ones. But this transition cow phenomenon with body condition score change, we had conception rates from 25% in the loss group all the way to 84% in the, in the gain group. Within those different groups, so within the maintained body condition score. Was there a difference in, um, if, if you looked at body condition score, was there a difference in conception rate of those that were maybe, you know, three compared to 3.5? Yep. We, I skipped over the first study in this paper was just looking at body condition score at breeding. So not change, just raw body condition. So that looks at that variation that you're talking about kind of as in that implication. And what that study showed was that if they're too thin, they had poorer fertility. So if you get cows too thin down less than 2.5 body condition score, they're going to have bad fertility. So body condition score itself, uh, within these groups, we didn't look at that, that, that range in body condition score. But I'll tell you, it's related to something else. That's what I'll tell you, Kim. Okay, so I'll, wa I'll keep walking through this story. It's kind of an interesting story. So, Paul, so, did you, maybe you did this, did you try to tease out the groups of cows that l gained, lost, or maintained? Were they more submissive cows? Were they heifers? Were they, is there any way you could tease out? Because these were all in the same herd. They're all in the two herds. They're all in the same two herds. 
And it's a good question, Jim. Uh, there was an effect of parity. So in other words, more first lactation cows tended to gain and more older cows tended to lose. But it wasn't, it was statistically significant, but it wasn't a huge deal, okay? The biggest thing we found here is just this loss maintaining gain group and the impact, the relationship to fertility is just striking. And so the reason I bring it up, Jim, is, you know, I, I get people saying, you know, these protocols that you're talking about just don't work in my cows. Well, if you have herds that are metabolic problems, if they don't have good repro and they're calving cows that aren't right, uh, then then they're going to have problems with fertility. So let me just take this concept. So cows that gained had much higher fertility than cows that lost. So my question is, if I look at this data, my question is, how do I get cows to gain body condition score after calving? If I could get more cows to gain, theoretically, they're in a higher fertility group. And I'm going to answer that with a second study. Now, the second study, it was one I was involved with. We had a postdoc from Brazil, and he brought a data set from Brazil, and he's looking at body condition score change in the periparturian period, so from 21 days before calving to 21 days after calving. And again, there was a loss that maintained in the gain group. It was 50% of them lost, 22% maintained, and 28% gained. The animals that gained had fewer health events than the animals that lost. So that's a chicken and egg question, right? Did they lose because they had the health events? Or did they gain because they didn't have the health events? Or because they gained, did they just, were they healthier? And you, I think you can make an argument both ways. We don't know the answer because this isn't a randomized controlled trial. But again, the, the fertility differences, the, the animals that lost 18% conception rate to timed AI, maintained 27%, gained 53%. So again, it's that same stair step. And what we did then is we looked at body condition score 21 days before expected calving. Within each of those groups, so we had a group that was less than three, a group equal to three, and a group greater than three, 21 days before calving. So thinner, kind of intermediate, and, and fatter. All the cows that lost or that gained are in that thinner group. So this is kind of getting at your question, Kim. If you calve thinner cows, that's related to more cows gaining. The cows that calved with a body condition score above three, so these are the heavier cows at 21 days before calving, 92% of those cows lost. So now you can answer the question, how do I get cows to gain body condition score after calving? The answer is avoid calving over conditioned cows. And I think so, that's interesting because as a dairy science student, you know, we were taught the opposite, right? Yes. You want to calve them at higher body condition because once they calve and hit net energy lactation and negative, they're going to lose body condition. Yeah. So you need to bring them back up. But what you're saying is the opposite. Yep. Calve them thinner, put more weight on them. That's, that's exactly where I'm going with this, Kim. Those two data sets are data sets that agree with each other very well. And uh, Richard Persley at Michigan State, who's a good friend of mine, was looking at that. He did a recent study in Michigan. And what he related was previous calving interval to these changes 
Well, what does that mean? Okay, so cows that have a short previous calving unit got pregnant really quickly at the end of the voluntary waiting period, right? Cows with a very long calving interval took a lot longer to get pregnant. And what it ends up is cows with a shorter previous calving interval, guess what they did? They calved at a lower body condition score. Why is that? It's a, I think it's very simple. Cows that fail to get pregnant spend more time in later lactation, giving a lower amount of milk, eating a diet that's designed for a much higher amount of milk, and they just put on a lot of body condition score later on in their, uh, in their lactation. And so, so how does this work? Um, so let me just run through this. So body condition score parturition was just, just inversely related with previous calving interval. Shorter previous calving interval, lower body condition score of parturition, longer previous calving interval, uh, higher body condition score at, at parturition. Same thing with change in body condition score. So animals that were calved at a higher body condition score lost more, just like in the previous studies. All these things are just completely related. Health events, fertility, cows that maintained or gained body condition score had higher fertility than cows that lost. And cows that lost body condition score had more pregnancy losses. And so Dr. Persley published this paper, it was in 2019, and I'll just read the title of it because it's really, really great. He calls it the high fertility cycle. How timely pregnancies in one lactation may lead to less body condition loss, fewer health issues, greater fertility, and reduced early pregnancy losses in the next lactation. Paul, I was talking to a herdsman, this was a couple of years ago on a farm, and he had just got out of the sick cow pen. And he said, you know, Jim, I think what we should do is if a cow's second lactation and older, she needs to be bred three times, we don't breed her, unless she's a special cow. So that kind of falls into your category. So a couple of comments. Do we make these cows, do we pick a time, we just make them do, do not breeds? They just get out there and we know this may hurt milk production, or we take these cows that we think are really good genetic cows, we had a hard time getting bred. We make basically a low energy diet in our lactation group, because so many people lead one group and say, we know this might hurt milk production, but we know they're gonna have all kinds of challenges the next lactation. So it seems to me, those are two potential strategies and maybe about the only two potential strategies to really not hurt those cows the next lactation. Yeah, I, I agree. And so I do have a little section here we can talk through. So what do we do about this? I think one of the things I've seen, and you guys can tell me if you guys see this as well. When herds were using BST, you could get away with feeding a single TMR to your lactating dairy cows because the BST would keep the weight off of them, right, in late lactation. What we've seen now as we've moved away from BST and herds have stayed on a single TMR, this problem has arisen. And so, Jim, I think what you said is I, I think we need to think about if you have a herd that can do this is having two lactating cow rations. I think you need, in Wisconsin, we have a high ration and a medium ration. We don't have a low ration, right? Because we don't have low producing cows. That's a joke, Ken. Yeah, right? really. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a high pen and a medium pen, right? But, but so, so the question becomes, do we make decisions on which diet those cows get based on their body condition score at the, at the pregnancy recheck, Right. Maybe we could do that. Maybe a cow that's a higher body condition score cow needs to go into that lower ration. Maybe cows that are thinner need to stay in the other one. I mean, that's an idea. 
I think herds need to think about implementing and using body condition score evaluations. I have a nutritionist friend and, and we were going through these concepts. They were struggling with repro. They were using protocols and systems that I would say should have given them 10% higher conception rates and they weren't getting them. And I, I was going through this and he just said, ah, this isn't a problem here. Body condition score is a problem. I said, how do you know? So I just, you know, cows aren't, cows aren't overconditioned here. And I said, okay, let's, let's go walk, walk through the pens. And so immediately we walked out of the office into the pre-fresh pen. And it's like, there's three cows standing there and they're fours. And I said, look at those. He goes, oh yeah, those are a little heavy. <laughs> it's like, so you have to record this stuff. Now the good news is, and another exciting thing that's on the horizon, there are now these image analysis systems that are being worked on that you just put a camera above the exit to the parlor. And they're going to use an image analysis system as the cow walks underneath of that thing to ascribe body condition scores. So we'll essentially be able to just, we're, now we're in the era of big data. And I think this is an area that we're going to have to, you know, start using this data to make management decisions. But we could essentially have a body condition score on a cow. Uh, we could do a, a weekly average or a daily average or whatever. So I think the implementing body condition score evaluations is going to be something that'll just be automated maybe in the future. Now, Kim, to your point, I went back to a talk I did in 2001 and looked at body condition score targets for calving, three and a quarter to 3.75. That's mm -hmm. too high. That was in 2001. I just think those numbers are too high based on the data we have now. And so a second thing I tell farmers, you need to adjust your eyeballs at what you're looking at in your transition cow pens. I think people are used to seeing, and it's the concept, Kim, the old data in this area showed that cows that lost more than a point in body condition score post-calving had really bad fertility to cows that didn't. And I think they did exactly what you said, Kim. They said, we'll calve our cows a little heavier so that I've got room to manage that loss. But here's the problem. If you calve them heavier, if you give them the opportunity to mobilize body fat, they will. Just genetically do that. And you're a nutritionist, Kim. Uh, what happens when a cow mobilizes body fat? NEFAs go up. BHBAs go up. When those go up, what do they get? Ketosis. When cows get ketosis, what does that do to their appetite? Well, they don't like to eat as much. When they don't eat as much, then they get an LDA. All this stuff happens to bad things. A cow that doesn't have that option, she, she can't be too thin, but let's say a cow that calves right at a three. She's got a good appetite. She's going to eat. She's going to keep her rumen full. She's not going to flood her system with NEFAs and BHBAs. She's not going to get ketotic. She's not going to get a DA. And she's going to just fly through this transition pen and have much, much better repro. So I think that there's a cycle here. And, and we, we kind of see this happen uh, on some of these dairies. And then the last point, Jim, is one that you had mentioned before. I'm starting to really push people on how many times are you going to breed cows? Now, the old question that I would get is how many times should I breed a cow before I give up? That was a question that came out of the old days when we didn't have enough heifers and people were breeding cows eight, nine, 10, 12, 14 times. I think you need to really think about this. In our UW herd, we have a we have a 30-some percent pregnancy rate, run, run right about 30% pregnancy rate. We run about a 50% conception rate. We can get over 90% of our cows pregnant 
after the third insemination, cumulatively. So you've got to ask yourself the question, if I continue to breed a cow fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time, even if I get her pregnant, she's not going to be in the high fertility cycle when she cycles back around in calf. So I always like to say you can fall in love with some of your cows, but you can't fall in love with all of them or you shouldn't fall in love with all of them. And I think we can get cows pregnant quickly after the end of the voluntary waiting period using these strategies that we have, these fertility programs, the use of activity monitoring systems, herds that are doing this, what we see is the high fertility cycle in action. We see these herds where things just get better. These incidences of ketosis and DA and, and all these metabolic problems just decline. We see these preg rates get higher and it's just this positive cycle that we see. And that's really what we're talking about with the high fertility cycle. I think one of the challenges in all this is our dairies don't usually formulate the rations that they feed, right? It's, it's usually the nutritionist. And uh, most of our nutritionists by training have been trained, calf the cows, higher body condition, so they feed a high, uh, more energy-dense diet during the, the dry period. So how do we overcome that? What do we need to do? Well, I think you have to involve the nutritionist in the discussions. I've, I've sat around the table with herds that uh, are not in the high fertility cycle they're struggling with these things and you know jim when you talk about changing rations and stuff the, the problem is one of the herds i was working with it was like a hundred pound herd 100 pound tank ever and it's like immediately when you start talking about uh if you bring up some we need to think about nutritional strategies the nutritionist automatically goes whoa 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 you know there's a hundred pound herd what do you don't look at me right i'm doing my job but i think you have to start to put this into the context that you got to work together as a group to get better. And so we need to start thinking about these strategies to get these herds into the high fertility cycle. And it begins, I gave this talk, Jim, you remember when I gave this talk to the four state dairy group and that's you know, 300 nutritionists in the room. There was some pushback to this, right? Because I think what the nutritionists heard me say is that you've got to proactively manipulate body condition score which, you know, the diet changes and all that kind of stuff would, would constitute that. And really, I think my message is get your cows pregnant, okay? If you get your cows pregnant quickly at the end of the voluntary waiting period, the body condition score thing works itself out on its own. And so that's where, the, but it's, it's a struggle because how do I, how do I get from this uh, non-high fertility cycle to the high fertility cycle? And I think, you know, you got you to gotta look at Calling certain cows, bringing in replacements, starting over with some of these cows and just working on it to get the herd out of that particular. Yeah, I think you made a good point. We can't fall in love with too many of our cows. I think that we're all that way. We all grew up with that, especially on the smaller herd. So I think we really have to think strategically about that. Um, making more of these cows do not breeds because that is one of the sins. We cannot sell a pregnant cow. Right. I mean, that's just and something that dairy to, producers can't do. No, nope, they don't and that want has to, to change. Do. That has to change. And I've, I've sat around tables where people are, um, the AI company is sitting there saying, you know, we can dramatically decrease the number of heifers you produce. And it's like, what, do we need 10% more? It's like, no, you don't need 10% more than, than the target. You need like the target. And it's a very, that, that idea that, you know, we can't get rid of heifers or we can't sell heifers. That's a big switch in mentality for a lot of people to make. But the herds that 
that do it then start figuring out, well, this, yeah, this heifer inventory management and use of these different technologies, getting herds into the high fertility cycle, as, as we talked about before, beef semen, sex semen, IVF embryo transfer, using fertility programs, using activity monitors, there's just using genomics to test the herd or pedigrees. There's just so much uh, technology out there now that's kind of coming together to allow us to get these, uh, this thing really tightened up to where, to where you can really run a successful and profitable herd. That's, that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the other challenge is breeding a, not breeding a cow that's in heat. You can make her a DNB, but we've all been out there, boy, she's in good heat. I'll give her one more chance, and one chance turns into two. So kind of a double-edged sword. We've always been taught if a cow's in heat, we're going to breed her because she might get pregnant, and then we might need her. But I think with these new tools, we've just got to get over that. And that's hard. That is a really hard mindset to get over. Very difficult uh, shift, but I tell you what, it's not impossible, and I, I see it happening all the time, and I see it happening in a lot of really successful herds. Well, Paul, what do you think are the three messages or a couple of messages that you can go through as you, as you look at this high fertility cycle that farmers can do to really get into that high fertility cycle? Well, again, I'd go back to rule number one, which is put a system in place to get cows pregnant quickly at the end of the voluntary waiting period. And again, the tools and technologies are there. It's a, it's a blend between uh, good heat detection or activity monitoring and good programs and protocols. That's what the, the high herds uh, at the Dairy Cattle Reproduction Council that are winning the awards, that's exactly the strategy um, that they're using. I think, again, we have to rethink our body condition score targets. I think the old targets, calving at three and a quarter to 3.75, those old numbers are way too high. I'd like to see cows calving right around three. That's kind of where I'd, where I'd want to see them. You don't want them too thin. You don't want them less than 2.75 or 2.5. I don't think too thin is the biggest problem out there. I think probably on the other side of things is, is where the problem is, so we can control that. And then, you know, determining how many times you're going to breed a cow is, is another issue. And, you know, we've got, we've got enough heifers flowing into these farms where I think they can get out of the, the low fertility cycle and get into the high fertility cycle rather quickly by strategic culling and, and those kinds of things. Well, thanks, Paul. We appreciate your input today. And you're talking about high fertility cycles. So with that, that's another one of our uh, I-29 Moo University podcasts. Thanks for having me, you guys. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.